0: Good morning, folks. As ever, it's a joy to me to be with you again. Turn with me to Isaiah 63 this morning. The first part of the chapter, the first six verses, is a kind of question and answer session summed up in verse 6 in the Lord saying, I trampled the nations in my anger, in my wrath I made them drunk, and I poured their blood on the ground. Now these kind of words remind us that while our God is a loving Heavenly Father to his children, he is a sin-hating God at the same time, and evil doing that is persisted in must attract his judgment. And of course, we know that down through the centuries, he has visited in judgment nations that have been completely ungodly and simply were not remotely interested in turning to him in repentance. And then we get to verse 7, and it seems like Isaiah is speaking now, and he says this, I will tell of the kindnesses of the Lord, the deeds for which he is to be praised, according to all the Lord has done for us, Yes, the many good things he has done for the house of Israel, according to his compassion and many kindnesses, he said, surely they are my people, sons who will not be false to me, and so he became their saviour. In all their distress, he too was distressed, and the angel of his presence saved them in his love and mercy he redeemed them he lifted them up and carried them all the days of old yet they rebelled and they grieved his Holy Spirit so he turned and became their enemy and he himself fought against them then His people recall the days of old, the days of Moses and his people. Where is he who brought them through the sea with the shepherd of his flock? Where is he who set his Holy Spirit among them, who sent his glorious arm of power to be at Moses' right hand, who divided the waters before them to gain for himself everlasting renown, who led them through the depths like a horse in open country? They did not stumble. Like cattle that go down to the plain, they were given rest by the Spirit of the Lord. This is how you guided your people to make for yourself a glorious name. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can open this wonderful book you have given us, which is the very Word of God. And there we can find you speaking to us from words that were written centuries, many centuries ago. And we ask this morning for the help of your Holy Spirit, that we individually might hear whatever it is you specially want us to hear and to make some response to. And so guide me by your Spirit, Father, as I speak, and guide all of us as we seek to understand and to respond. In Jesus' name. If you're one of these people who tries to spot, from a reading like that, what the preacher's three points might be, (laughs) you may already have noticed that in that passage there are three references, right there, bang in the middle of the Old Testament, three references to the Holy Spirit. Well, these are the three points we're going to consider this morning. Because, you see, we read of the prophets doing what the psalmists also did, remembering the great events surrounding the exodus from Egypt and how God supernaturally rescued his people and how he led them through the wilderness and miraculously provided for them in a variety of ways. That great history was repeated again and again in the Psalms and in the prophets. And here is Isaiah doing this very thing. And he's recalling that Yes, it was as if the Lord adopted the Jewish people. He selected Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and their descendants. From them would come the Messiah, our Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord was very kind to them and felt for their sufferings in all their distress. He was distressed and so on. And the angel of his presence saved them and his love and mercy He redeemed them and lifted them up and carried them all the days of old so they kept on trusting him and obeying him and praising them. sadly not very soon after being rescued from Egypt they began to worship false gods belonging to the neighbour and neighbouring countries they went into idolatry and again and again God was deeply disappointed with the people he had rescued so powerfully so effectively the next verse really astonishes us and probably appalls us. Because Isaiah says, Yet they rebelled. In spite of all God's great kindnesses to them, they rebelled. And they grieved His Holy Spirit. Well, yes, and then what? So He turned and became their enemy, and He Himself fought against them. Did you know that the Bible tells us there were occasions? when God opposed the many people he had chosen to be, a special people for himself. He fought against them. What is going on here? Well, let's think first of all about the sensitivity of the Spirit. Because you see, in recalling the history of these earlier years, Isaiah says they rebelled. The Jewish people sadly rebelled, so greatly blessed, so richly provided for, and yet they rebelled against the very warnings God had given them not to go back into idolatry, not to follow the ways of the pagan nations around them. They rebelled. Now it's obviously a very serious thing for people to rebel against God. Of course that's what's wrong with the world, because most of the world is in rebellion against God. That's the root of our problems. But when those who have been rescued by God, when they rebel against him, well, that's a thousand times worse, surely. They rebelled against God, and in doing so, they grieved his Holy Spirit, and he turned and became their enemy, and himself fought against them. What can we learn about the sensitivity of the Spirit? Well, we learn, first of all, about the condition of the people. You see, they did have some difficult times, even though God had miraculously rescued them from their slavery in Egypt. They did have some pretty difficult times, partly their own fault, um, in these wilderness days. So we have got to go back to the Book of Exodus, to back to Exodus chapter fifteen, and we find that not long after they came out of Egypt, something happened. We're told there in Exodus fifteen that Moses led Israel from the Red Sea and they went into the desert of Shur for three days they travelled in the desert without finding water when they came to Marah they could not drink its water because it was bitter that is why the place is called Marah a Hebrew word for, for bitter so the people didn't hold a prayer meeting and say Lord we need water please provide another miracle no they grumbled against Moses saying what are we to drink? And Moses cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him NIV says a piece of wood I like the King James version better he showed him a tree that is a pointer towards the cross our Lord Jesus suffered for our sins on the Bible what the Bible calls a tree the cross of Calvary and that when that was introduced into the water miraculously made it drinkable anyway they began badly by grumbling against Moses and then, in the next stage of their journey, we find that in chapter 17. We find there that the whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place, uh, that they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. They had real water problems. First, it was undrinkable because it was poisonous, and secondly, there was none to drink anyway. So they quarreled with Moses. Oh dear. They quarreled with the man God had given them to be their leader. And they said, give us water to drink. And Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty and they grumbled against Moses. They quarreled with Moses. They grumbled against Moses. Could it be that it wasn't just the water that was rather bitter? These people themselves were rather bitter. Of course, they had come out of Egypt embittered. Because chapter 1 of Exodus tells us that the Egyptians made, them, made their lives bitter, the Hebrews people lives bitter in hard, hard labor. They were treated as uh, slaves, very, very cruelly treated, and they became embittered. So, what do we find as we go on to the Bible about bitterness? Well, we can go to the book of Ruth, and we can think of the story of Ruth. Ruth and her husband and their boys, you may remember, moved down into a foreign land, a pagan land, because of famine in their homeland. And in that foreign land of Moab, the boys married two Moabite girls, but within a few years, Ruth's uh, Naomi's husband died, and the two son in laws died as well. And then Naomi and her daughters in law got word that the Lord had come to the aid of his people, and the famine back home was over. So they planned to go back to where Naomi had come from. After a while, one daughter turned back into Moab. And Ruth it was who accompanied her mother-in-law, Naomi. And when they reached Bethlehem, the women who had remembered Naomi hadn't seen her for years. And they said, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. The word Naomi means pleasant. Don't call me Naomi, said Naomi. Call me Mara. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Don't call me Naomi. The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. The famine's over. She's able to get back home, but she's experiencing a measure of bitterness. Well, there was all the uprooting of their family to go down to Moab in the first place, there were all the believements she suffered there, and now she's back home and she still feels bitter and feels she ought to be called Mara. Let's go to the New Testament now. The Apostle Paul warns us very, very clearly and very very strongly that bitterness is a horribly dangerous thing in human life. We go to Ephesians chapter 4 and we find Paul writing to that church, these believers, and saying, in your anger, don't sin, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, don't give the devil a foothold, do not let unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit, the very thing these old Hebrews had done, as Isaiah records. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Not every Christian realizes how sinister How damaging, how very dangerous bitterness and its twin sister resentment can be. Perhaps you have experienced a period in life when things happened that made you, for the time being, somewhat bitter, somewhat resentful. Oh, I've been there, I know what I'm talking about. I've been through that. But here is Paul saying, if you find yourself afflicted with bitterness, then get rid of it. Dump it as quickly as you possibly can. It is poison. It is dangerous. Oh, oh. Back to Psalm 106, verse 32. Now, what do we find the psalmist saying? We find him saying, referring back to the time of Moses when they were there in the wilderness not far from Egypt. By the waters of Meribah they angered the Lord and trouble came to Moses because of them for they rebelled against the Spirit of God. When things happen to us as is inevitable living as we do in a fallen world a world where there's a great deal of evil and sin, it is inevitable for Christians to experience things that upset us. And how we react to these situations is so very, very important. If we stay close to the Lord, if we praise the Lord as Job did, even when his whole family and his possessions were taken from him in an instant, If we can say with Job, the Lord gave, the Lord has taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord, we're on safe ground. But you see, if we don't react that way, we're likely to react the opposite way and become a bit rebellious towards God. God, you're not treating me fairly. I am a follower of Jesus. I'm trying to be faithful to Jesus. And you shouldn't be letting these things happen to me. Ever felt that way? Oh, probably you have. It's very human to feel that way sometimes. What are you doing, God? Now, if it's simply a question that you want an answer to, well, that's all right. But if you're actually complaining and rebelling against God's allowing this to happen to you, then you're probably on dangerous ground. So if we go again to the New Testament, we find the writer to the Hebrews warning against this very thing called bitterness. We find there in Hebrews chapter 12 this warning Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many These words teach us that if a bitter root takes place, gets a hold in our life, it is going sooner or later to cause trouble and bring defilement. There are very few churches I know of, and I know of quite a number of churches, where strife has not happened and where there has been often a parting of the ways some Christians who were fellowshipping together happily for years they go their separate ways because because a root of bitterness was allowed to get a hold in some lives and resentment accompanied it and there was trouble and there was defilement you see, very few new Christians probably are are warned against the seriousness of these things. It can seem just so natural, just so human, to react with some bitterness and some resentment. Well, maybe it is natural and human, but it's still wrong. And it's also very, very dangerous. So the condition of the people was really one of bitterness. That was the root cause of their reacting badly when things went wrong. But what was the consequence? Well, the consequence is almost the same. If we give way to bitterness then the consequence will inevitably be weakness. Oh, weakness. You see, the God who had been all for them and all with them and supporting them and protecting them and blessing them reaches a point where the Bible says he turned and became their enemy. Is this upsetting you? Might be. It, maybe it is. The thought of God becoming our enemy. oh that's scary. And he actually fought against him. He was not a passive enemy. He took action against him. Let's go back to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 3. Uh, begins with these words. The war between the house of Saul and the house of David lasted a long time. David grew stronger and stronger, while the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. Why was that? Well, the answer is there in First Samuel chapter 16. The answer is there because it records the time when Samuel the prophet took a horn of oil and anointed David in the presence of his brothers and from that day on the Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power. But the next verse says now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul and an evil spirit tormented him she saw with one of these men who began well and finished very very sadly and very very badly it's possible to be a Christian a keen Christian, a strong Christian to begin well and end tragically badly. The consequence you see was weakness and not strength. When we have the Holy Spirit ungrieved in our lives, the potential we have is enormous. The Holy Spirit is omnipotent and when we don't grieve him, he's able to work freely in us and for us and through us. But the minute we grieve the Holy Spirit No, he doesn't go away, thankfully. But he withdraws into a corner of our life and leaves us to get on with it and make the best of it on our own. I don't want to do that. And I hope you don't either. Because, you see, this is the consequence of allowing bitterness to take root in our lives and develop into resentment and bring trouble, defilement, weakness. It's very sad when a Christian with all the potential that God has given us in the new life we have in Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, when is it where we throw that aside, sacrifice all that to give way to bitterness and resentment? This is the most important part of what I'm saying this morning. Let's move on from that. The sensitivity of the Spirit is something we must always remember. But as we read on, we're reminded of the centrality of the Spirit. Because the question is uh, uh, put, where is he who brought them through the sea? Well, with the shepherd of his flock. Where is this God who did such wonderful things in the past? Where is he who set his Holy Spirit among them? who sent his glorious arm of power to be at Moses' right hand. Some people who are not very familiar with the Bible perhaps think that the Holy Spirit turned up for the first time on planet Earth on the day of Pentecost. Well, that's obviously untrue, totally untrue, when we read the Word of God. Because we go to Genesis chapter 1 and we find the Holy Spirit right there. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters right from the very beginning and then we have that marvelous situation in Exodus chapter 31 where the Lord declares that he has anointed a man or filled a man with the Holy Spirit for a very unusual reason the Lord said to Moses I have chosen Bezalel and I have filled him with the Spirit of God with skill ability and knowledge in all kinds of crafts I love that because you see This first man, who was ever recorded as being filled with the Holy Spirit, he wasn't filled with the Spirit to be a preacher, a pastor, an evangelist, a missionary. He was filled with the Spirit to be a better craftsman, working with his hands. He was to design and construct. Ah, the tent of meeting. the place that was central to the worship of these Hebrew people. It was important that someone filled with the Spirit was in charge of that major responsibility. we are turn over to the book of Numbers for a minute. We find there in Numbers 11 that Moses, aged 80 when he left Egypt, wasn't good at delegating. Perhaps never had heard of delegating. (laughs) and didn't do it anyway. And we're told there in Numbers chapter 11 that the Lord said to him, bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials make them come to the tent of meeting and I will take of the spirit that is on you and put the spirit on them, they will help you, carry the burden of the people so that you will not have to carry it alone and the Lord came down in the cloud and he took the spirit that was on Moses and put the spirit on the 70 elders, Oh, I smile at the thought of that. I've was a huge company of people, of course, an enormous company of people. But imagine a church with 70 elders who were all the Spirit-filled. Every one of them controlled by the Spirit of God. Oh, you could go places with a group like that. <laughs> of course, we know that God's intention for us is that we should, all of us, all believers, be filled with the Spirit of God. Back uh, in the Old Testament still... When the time of rebuilding the temple, the first temple was destroyed and a second temple had to be built. And the builders were not getting on with the job. And God sent two prophets to stir them up because, you see, their spirits had to be stirred up before their hands would get stirred up. And Haggai and Zechariah were on the job and Haggai kept producing prophecies. And these (laughs) prophecies included the words, I am with you, declares the Lord. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. All down through the years the Holy Spirit had been among these Jewish people, among them. And in Zechariah we have these wonderful words not by might, not by power but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And if we turn back a little bit in in, in Isaiah we have this promise of revival oh yes where the Lord says in verse 3 I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your children the centrality of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament now I'm not going to go into detail about the New Testament because we had whole three Sunday evenings last summer on that and most of you were probably here um, but we know that when the day of Pentecost came as was promised the Spirit of God was poured out on that infant church of 120 people and overnight they had grown to 3,120 and so it went on miracles of healing miracle after miracle after miracle right through the Book of Acts. It's a story that is so thrilling; it's worth reading again and again and again. And that word that I shared with you just last, not my second last visit, I think it was, uh, and Sandy Steen made a bookmark with the same scripture on it in Romans fifteen thirteen, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Are you overflowing with hope this morning? I hope you are. Life is hard enough without being deprived of the hope that we have in our Lord Jesus. The sensitivity of the Spirit. We've thought about the condition of the people, bitterness, and the consequence for the people, weakness. Weakness. We thought about the centrality of the Spirit, both in the Old Testament and the New. And finally, we've got the third point there in verse 14. The ministry of the Spirit. Isaiah remembers what happened. Not that he was there, but he heard about it. It was recorded and he knew about it. The coming of God in power to part the waters of the Red Sea who divided the waters before them to gain for himself everlasting renown, who led them through the depths like a horse in open country. They didn't stumble. The very pathway was smooth and safe for them. Like cattle that go down to the plain. They may have had the rocky terrain to cross, but now they're going down to the plain and it's level and it's easy and it's safe. They were given rest by the Spirit of the Lord. This is how you guided your people to make for yourself a glorious name. The Bible teaches us that if the Holy Spirit had never done anything, you and I wouldn't be here this morning. Because you see, we begin by being convicted by the Spirit. John 16, Jesus said the Holy Spirit will convict people of sin and righteousness and judgment. And that's in a sense what prepares us for the gospel, we become uneasy, we become aware that all is not well, that we don't have the righteousness we ought to have. What we have instead is sin, unforgiven, unremoved, and ahead of us, further down the road, there is judgment. And we become troubled, we become convicted of our sin. So conviction is then followed by regeneration, We're born again of water and the Spirit, as John 3 teaches us. The only way into the family of God, believing family of God, is by being born again. And that is the work of the Spirit. Born again of the Spirit of God and of water, because baptism is important. It's meant to confirm what has happened to us. We have been raised to new life in Christ. There follows instruction, the work of the Spirit. Jesus taught his disciples what to expect when he left them. He said, the Holy Spirit's going to come. We're going to send you the Holy Spirit. And he says in in 1426 of John, he's going to lead you into all truth. He'll teach you all things. And in 1526, he's going to bear witness to me. So there's instruction focused on Jesus. Conviction, regeneration, instruction. And the end result of that work of the Spirit Is transformation. Our worship is transformed. Perhaps we sang hymns and songs to the Lord before we became Christians, but now we are worshipping by the Spirit of God. Philippians chapter 3, I keep reminding Christian groups of this verse because it's such a key verse. It's not good enough that we should simply turn up on a Sunday morning and open our mouths and start repeating words. No! Paul says we worship by the Spirit of God who and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. That means we do not rely on our own natural human ability to enable us to worship God. We need the help of the Spirit of God to worship God acceptably. That's the key to worshipping God. Yes. And also we're told in Ephesians 6.18 to pray in the spirit to pray in the spirit that's the way to pray guided by the Holy Spirit how do you begin your prayer time in the morning I begin my prayer time by asking for the help of the Holy Spirit it's hard going if you don't do that prayer can be hard we can be dry spiritually we can be a bit reluctant to pray we can be feeling tired and weary and so on and so we need the help of the Holy Spirit to focus our attention and enable us to pray in faith etc Worship by the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. And we're told, live by the Spirit. And that just covers everything else. Galatians 5.16 I keep reminding you of it, I know. You should know it off my heart now. Live by the Spirit. Because you see, There is opposition. The evil one is trying to pull us down and get us to stop being so enthusiastic about Jesus and trying to get us distracted in one way or another, tempting us in a great variety of ways. And so Paul says, Live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. The sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. So the only secret of success is to live by the Holy Spirit. And when I go to a church and someone else leads the service and um, I preach and so on, and there's nobody, nobody, nobody refers to the Holy Spirit. Oh dear, dear, this is, not, this is not good. When Graham and I pray before the service, we invite the Holy Spirit to help us. He needs the Holy Spirit to lead the worship. I need the Holy Spirit to help me preach we're called to live by the Spirit of God and of course the end result is absolutely wonderful Second Corinthians chapter 3 tells us where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom and we with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory we are being transformed into the Lord's likeness, we're more like Jesus with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit That's so wonderful. That tells me that unless I'm really hindering the spirit very badly, I'm far more like Jesus than I was five years ago, ten years ago, twenty years ago. That's what God is working on. I am different than I was ten years ago, believe me. You might not have been so fond of me then. (laughs) Yes, we're being transformed, daily, hourly, moment by moment by the living spirit of the living God how good is that let's pray Father we thank you that we who were once unsaved unclean unfit for your very company we've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus we've been renewed by your Holy Spirit We're altogether new in your eyes. We may look and feel sometimes the same as we did before we knew Jesus, but it's not true. We thank you that we're in the midst of this wonderful, wonderful process of being changed from one degree of glory to another, transformed day by day by the Spirit of God. Increase our appetite for this and help us to expect it, and experience it, in Jesus name.